I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode. We're, we don't have to pretend we have our shit together. You know, it's okay to say, I'm going to a therapist. Wow, what was that like? Mm-hmm. You know, or, I, or to talk about our feelings and say we're scared. Like men are allowed to have feelings and we're allowed to actually express them and we're allowed to get help for it. And then realize that when you ask for help, it's kind of like this, can you help me? When the person comes in, it feels amazing, right? And we're also, if you don't ask someone else for hug or for help, you're kind of robbing them of the chance to help you. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Ever wondered about the roller coaster entrepreneur's ride and how it impacts our lives? What if I tell you there's a curve that maps our highs, lows, and everything in between? In this episode, we delve into the entrepreneur's roller coaster curve, exploring its nuances, highs, lows, and the crucial moments in between. The conversation navigates through stages like informed optimism, crisis of meaning, and informed pessimism. We touch upon how men and women handle these curves differently and why it's essential to share this journey with those close to us. I share my personal experience, acknowledging the roller coaster of entrepreneurship and how it affects our mental and emotional well-being. We explore the stages of informed optimism and crisis of meaning, shedding light on the challenges entrepreneurs face. The conversation then shifts to the importance of social connections and the impact on relationships. The entrepreneur's roller coaster curve is portrayed as a powerful tool to understand and manage the tumultuous journey of building a business. The entrepreneur's roller coaster is not just a ride, it's a framework that shapes our professional and personal lives. Understanding its stages is key to maintaining balance and achieving long-term success. Sharing this journey with our loved ones creates a support system that helps us navigate the highs and lows more effectively. I want to talk about the roller coaster of entrepreneurship. I assume that's not a surprise since that's what we always talk about and what you sent me for the show. I read this a long time ago. I, actually, I don't even know if I read it a long time ago. I think you told me about it a long time ago because I was at some point along this roller coaster ride of entrepreneurship and so was everyone else in the room. And I remember people going, it's like he knows me. What's going on? And that's when it became really obvious that this wasn't a a cool infographic that you found online wow. and decided to write an ebook about, but like, this is a thing. This is a thing that happens to everybody who has a business. And I was thinking, cause our audience is so general in a way, this is a thing that probably applies to everyone, but also especially to entrepreneurs because we're all nuts. It applies to every, the, the model that I will talk about definitely applies to entrepreneurs because we're all nuts and we're by, most of us are bipolar. 
Uh, if you actually read the traits of bipolar disorder, most entrepreneurs would, would be clinically diagnosed as bipolar. And I have some data points on this. Other people ride the roller coaster, but not necessarily as, as high and low as most entrepreneurs do. And there is some clinical data there that show that entrepreneurs, there's only 3% of the population are entrepreneurs and only 3% of the population are bipolar. So there's kind of, that's kind of interesting, right? Hmm. And then when you actually go through all the traits and realize that most entrepreneurs are bipolar and a lot of individuals have signs, some signs, but not eight or nine of the 10 or 11, right? They might have four or five. Right. Oh, I, um, yeah. I have the list and I went, you said most people check off five things from this list. And I was like, let's see. And then I was like, yes, 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 yes. Oh, oh, at least five. This is at least five. Right. Okay, good, good, good. And, and what were you, yeah. right? Cause I'm 10 for 11. I think I was, well, we'll go through it. Cause I actually, it's, it's in my notes here and I figured I would attack it, but it's, it's, I don't see it right now. It's down here. Let me see. Okay. We'll find it. But the reason it's really important for every individual is individuals work for entrepreneurial companies, mm-hmm. right? So you, if you work for an entrepreneur or an entrepreneurial company, you're strapped to the back of that person. You know, we've all heard about Steve Jobs being hypomanic, yeah, right? And bipolar. So when he would go through these crazy ups and downs, everyone around him was affected by that. And wouldn't have been interesting if they just knew that's natural. Right. right? Instead, Instead of, of he's, he's crazy, yeah. right? Two of the three founders of Netscape were bipolar, clinically bipolar. Wouldn't it be cool if all their employees understood that or if their spouse understood that? Because when a spouse of an entrepreneur goes and talks to her friends or his friends, the other spouses are going, no, my husband's a lawyer. He's not like that. No, he's a little bit upset, but no, he's not like that. But spouses of entrepreneurs go, yeah, that's my husband or that's mm-hmm. my wife, right? So I think the vast population is affected by it, not necessarily because they're bipolar, but because they're strapped to our back. That's a good point. And I have heard... In entrepreneur groups, people talk about things like this, but also I think a lot of folks listening and watching right now are going to go, oh, that's why my supervisor, boss, the owner of the company, this, that, and the other thing. Because there's a lot of people who listen to and watch this that aren't entrepreneurs, but the idea that we're strapped to someone's back, good point. Haven't thought of that. When you're married to somebody, you're definitely strapped to them, but the kids of entrepreneurs and the- Kids are for sure, right? The brothers-in-laws and the fathers and parents and- the co- colleagues and coworkers, all of these people get affected. So we make these crazy ripple effects just by being our crazy selves. Yeah, the butterfly effect is massive. Like I grew up with a father that was an entrepreneur and two grandfathers that were entrepreneurs. And then my brother and sister and I are all entrepreneurs. So all we've ever really known is that entrepreneurial highs and lows. And so we've all lived it. So we kind of thought it was all pretty natural. And then when we started to uncover this model about 30 years ago, to see and then apply it to all these other entrepreneurs, it became very real, real fast. Well, let's get, let's dive into this because to understand the roller coaster and to have people that we work with and live with understand it as well, I think it goes without saying that our attitudes, they're what build company culture and family culture. And so I think it's important to note that even if you're not diagnosed as bipolar, this can still affect you. I, to my knowledge, I'm not bipolar, but I definitely have more pulls uh, and swings to those pulls, I should say, than Jen does. Well, what if, yeah. what if bipolar wasn't a disorder? What if it was actually a superpower? Then, so I actually wrote this. I was at the TED conference this okay. year. I go to the main TED every year and, I, and they were filming a lot of the attendees with some thought that we had. And my thought was, what if bipolar and attention deficit were superpowers and not disorders? 
I mean, ADD has to be a superpower because too many people have it for it to be something that's wrong. And also it rocks for everything but sitting down in school and taking notes in a freaking English class. Right. So, so if you unpack attention deficit disorder in the entrepreneurial world, yeah. it's actually dispersed focus, which allows us to see everything. If I'm an entrepreneur, I want to know what's happening with my customer and the market and the economy and suppliers and finances, but I don't want to get too hyper-focused on one thing because I'll miss all the rest of the details. So the fact that I see everything means that I'm actually very tuned into the whole thing. But a teacher or an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer wants you to be super focused. They would be terrible entrepreneurs. Yeah. Bipolar is very similar. So the, the superpower side of bipolar disorder is that the mania, the excitement and the energy is why people, people follow us. The stress and depression is simply us course correcting and needing to plug in and recharge. Mm -hmm. But most entrepreneurs feel bad about that, or even on individuals. You think about a high-performance athlete that, that operates at their peak. They need to relax and de-stress. Right? right now, we're in the middle of the, the basketball NBA playoffs. Right, The Toronto Raptors just won game one. So we've got this, like everyone in Canada is completely manic from last night. We need a couple more days to recharge before game two on Sunday. That's natural. But we don't think that's a problem for them to have to recharge. Right. Entrepreneurs who are struggling with bipolar disorder, if they realize it's not a disorder and it's a superpower, then they're okay with taping, taking time off. They're okay with taking off in the middle of the day and telling your team, by the way, I'm going to go for a massage. And your employees go, great, because you were a stress case this yeah, morning. Yeah, good. Nobody wants you here. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you later, boss. Have a great weekend. Finally, we can relax. Everybody yeah. unclench. Yeah. I think we all work with people like that. And I, what I don't like even working with myself when I'm like that half the time. And sometimes it doesn't serve me well. We were talking pre-show about how I can, I can get, I mean, this, sometimes I feel like a pinball where I'll be like, it's such a great day. I get to drive to San Francisco. I'm going to hang out with my friend Cam. We're going to do a show and then eat some food, walk around. It's so nice out. And then I'll get an email from another friend who's like, Hey, I just sold my company for $200 million. And my first reaction is, God, that's awesome. I love this guy. He's so smart. And then I go, crap, I didn't sell my company for $200 million. I'm a failure. What am I doing? I mean, I like what I'm doing, but I'm just never going to be successful. But I'm as smart as David. What's my problem? Why didn't I do that? Mm. I'm a failure. I should just go home and dive into a book about how I can do the same thing so I can prove to myself or whatever the, the psychology is. And it's just like up, down, up, down, up, down. And God forbid you wake up with anxiety, because that just Fs up the whole day. There's not enough coffee in my kitchen. It screws up your employees, it screws up your team, it screws up yourself, right? Yeah. So here's, here's a reason why bipolar is different in the entrepreneur than it is in the rest of the population. Most of the rest of the population can talk to someone about their stress, about their fears, about their anxieties, because they can talk to a coworker. But as the CEO of a company, you can't tell your VPs that you're stressed or worried or depressed because <laughs> it might freak them out. Yeah. And you can't tell your board because that'll freak the shit out of your board. So you live in this very lonely place of one, right? And maybe you have a coach or maybe you're in a mastermind group like we were. We met at Mastermind Talks and you're in a community of other people that go, oh my God, I'm just as crazy as you. Maybe I'm not crazy. Right. Right. But until you get into that space, you feel very, very locked up by yourself. You know, I was, I identified or was identified very young as being bipolar and ADD. I was in grade school in grade six and I was sitting outside the principal's office and my dad was inside the principal's office. It was the only time I'd ever been. And I remember my dad inside and I could hear through the door saying, there's nothing wrong with my kid. The problem is the school system. The problem is the medical system. My kid doesn't have a disorder. 
he's just uh, he's just like me. He didn't say he's just an entrepreneur. He said he's just like me. Right. And he, my dad walked out. He goes, "Come on, we're leaving." I'm like, "What's wrong?" He goes, "They want me to put you on medication because they think you're too up and down all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? They think you're too too wild in the classroom." But he didn't want to medicate me. He wanted to give me a an outlet to go do that. Sure. Yeah. I I when I first split from the other company, I talked about this on another show called Impact Theory, where I felt all this anxiety, but what it was was not just anxiety because of for anxiety's sake. It was I was like a blender that was going and the top was off. Yeah. And what I needed to do was take some action, rebuild my business, do something instead of because everyone else's advice, non-entrepreneurs were like, Jordan, go to Hawaii for like two weeks, just relax, de-stress, look at the future, think about what you want to do. And I was just thinking, this is a person who's wired much differently than myself. Because <laughs> the last thing I wanted to do was be away from the phone, the internet, and right. what I needed to do to get moving again. The last place I wanted to be was on a beach going YOLO. Yeah. You know, that was not it. But the the idea was take that blender with the top off energy and focus it like a laser beam on something. And that was what worked for me. The only time we should take the time off, and we often don't, is when we're at kind of the bottom of the curve. Right. Okay. So when you get to the bottom of this, this roller coaster, you can't think clearly, right? You're too stressed. You're too kind of myopic on issues. You're, you're worried. You're the adrenaline's running. It's fear. And, and I don't know what the medical terms are, but you need to get the fuck out. Okay. Right? You need to go to the beach. You need to go walk around on the grass within your bare feet. You need to just take some time off. Right. And it's hard for us to do that because we're so hardwired to just keep trying harder. But if we keep trying harder, we often end up like that fly trying to get out the window that's yeah. just going to keep, and then they end up dead, right? Right. They're dead in between the two panes of glass. And yeah. We'll get into each of the phases of this entrepreneurial roller coaster. But I did get to the, I found the piece where it says, most entrepreneurs say yes to at least five of the following questions. Uh-huh. Are you filled with energy? Yes. Does your mind get flooded with ideas? Yes. Are you driven, restless, and unable to keep still? Yes. Do you often work on little sleep? Well, no. I very consciously go to bed early and make sure to get enough sleep. That's pretty new for me, though. Wasn't always the case. So I, I didn't highlight that one. But 10 years ago, five years ago, three years ago, I certainly could have. Well, I'll tell you, me on the sleep one, I'm working on little sleep because I thought it would be really cool if I sleep with the blinds open because I have this view of the mountains and the ocean so I can wake up with sunrise. But I'm waking up at a time when the earth is telling me to wake up, not when my body's ready. Yeah. So I am working on little sleep. Yeah. Frustrating. Yeah, there you go. So we all do this. Can you be euphoric? I don't even, I'm not sure. So I didn't highlight that one. Probably, but not as near, not nearly as often as I would like. <laughs> Are you easily irritated by minor obstacles? What do you think? Am I easily irritated by minor obstacles? It's like her chief, her chief thing is, are you kidding me? You're upset about that. It's like, like it, there's nothing so trivial that I can find an exaggeration. No. Like it can be. I just washed this window, this glass door. There's fingerprints on it right now. I mean, it could be anything. But you would be the only employee that would notice that kind of stuff. Yeah. Most employees would be like, yeah, there's a fingerprint. But we're like, no, that's a part of my brand. Yeah. Right? It reflects on me. Like, right now, there's marks on the wall here. They drive me nuts. Yeah. Like, no one else would actually care that there's marks on the wall from the chairs. Yeah. But I would be like, can't we just paint this once in a while? There are things like, 
typos and emails where I oh. just go, I can't believe it. Everyone thinks I'm an idiot now. Yeah. Look at someone I, read that and went, Jordan doesn't know how to spell. I had an argument with somebody online about that the other day. They said, it's okay for people to spell incorrectly. I'm like, no. She goes, yeah, but we're dyslexic. I'm like, you can be dyslexic and still give a shit. Yeah. Like, it's their spell check. Yeah. It's, it, look, you're not writing a note to your friend on the phone. You're, right. This is a business thing. There's spell check. You can ask someone. Or it's doesn't a Facebook dyslexic. post. Like, yeah. yeah, it does actually reflect poorly on you. It does. Like, even if it was just me. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. It does. And is it fair? No. Does that matter in life? Generally also no. Nope. Um, can you burn out periodically? Yeah. Okay. Do you act out sexually? No. That's also flirting. Heavy flirting. I'm, I'm, I, I'm good. Okay. Right, Jen? <laughs> She's like, you better be. If that was one I highlighted, I would never admit it right now. Do you feel persecuted by those who do not accept your vision? This one I had a question about. What does that actually mean? Um, do you feel, do you, do you kind of get defensive if someone disagrees with your idea or your vision on something? Oh yeah, like, I used to. Now nobody goes, podcasting is not going to be a thing. That's, a, I mean, nobody I think anymore. you should do X or I don't think you should do that. Oh, that happens all the time. I mean, even when people are like, or I don't really like the music and the new thing. I'm like, I write back. What I want to say is bleep, right? But what I write back is I'm not concerned about people's impressions right now. You'll get used to the music. It's fine. Okay. So you're actually good on that one. That one. But, but if you ask, I remember when I was 28, 20, 27, 28, and I started the company, people would go, oh, you're, you're teaching social skills. Nobody gives a crap about that. Or, or you're 27. Who's going to listen to you? And I remember thinking, I want to kill you in your sleep, hmm. but I'm going to I'm going to make a bunch of money just so that one day you see me getting into a nice car and you go, crap. Now you read, you read the, the, are you driven, restless and unable to keep still as three, as one? Those are three different ones. Oh, so I don't know if that's a typo the way the book was outlined, but so it actually well, comes out on one line. Yeah. So those are three, those are three separate. So it would actually come out with 11. So yes, yes. And yes. Yeah. So you're probably nine for 11 or one, two, three, four, five, six. Wait, hold on. Yeah. Seven on here, but. That doesn't count. Seven, so then eight, nine. So you're nine for 11. So according to the medical community, those are the clinical diagnosed traits for bipolar disorder. If you say yes to five, you're on the spectrum. If you say yes to 10 or 11, you'd be clinically diagnosed and medicated. You're on the cusp of medication. And, but if you read those, out. <laughs> if you read those traits to teachers, no. If you read those traits to accountants, no. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I do think about this when people write in the, the hardest questions for me on things like feedback Friday or when people go, man, I just, I'm not motivated. And I go, what's that? What's like? that mean? Yeah. And I get it sort of object, like academically. And I have to reach out to someone else and be like, what do you think this means? Like I, I have the, I'm not motivated on like a Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever, because I'm depressed or sad from the huge burnout phase of like, I did three speaking events in three days and I'm yeah. going hard. And then I'm just like tired. Sure. But lack of motivation for more than like a 24 hour period. I don't even understand what that would mean. No, I mean, it, yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the whole, like, how do you motivate yourself every day? And it's like, yeah, no, I'm, like a, I'm by, like a perpetual motion machine. I just got to keep going. Yeah, so that's a problem I don't. And do your, does your mind get flooded with ideas? And I was thinking, of course, doesn't everyone's? And the answer is not really. Yeah, mine gets flooded with ideas on how to do things, not new ideas on businesses. Mm -hmm. So like my dad was very entrepreneurial and he would have like a new business idea every hour for real. I've, I don't think I've ever had a new business idea, but I have ideas on perfecting or optimizing or faster or marketing ideas or like to the point where I'm like, I can't talk out loud to my team. No, it drives them insane. They can't do all this stuff this quickly. Hey Jen, how often do I go, Hey, <laughs> we should do this totally different initiative. Like how many times per day? Always a lot. I did it in the car on the way here. 
I was like, you know, this Quora thing, if we answered all these questions, da, 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 and she's like, who's going to do that? Yeah, I, I, I was sending myself notes. And then when I actually was looking at the notes later, I'm like, I'll delete that one before I even try to delegate it because it was a good idea. And then 20 minutes later, I was like, that's a dumb idea. Yeah. I had a seminar. I was like, I'm going to get somebody to go through my entire Facebook list and message everyone on my list that everyone in their company should buy every copy of Meeting Suck. I'm like, that's a dumb idea. Yeah. It was a good idea for like 12 seconds. Anyway. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's just yeah. like when I told Jen, how quickly are we going through those 3,700 pending LinkedIn connections? And she goes, oh yeah, top of my list, buddy. So they call it the CEO disease and it makes sense. Yeah, bipolar. Sorry? Bipolar disorder is nicknamed by the medical community as a CEO disease. Right, yeah, that, that's telling. You have an interesting way of diagnosing friends going through maybe a downswing. You said CEOs notes on blogs, their status updates on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn will commonly include comments such as these. And the examples are things like, I can't sleep. It's only when my body can't go on any longer. I, I haven't been able to accomplish anything so far this week. I know what it, what needs to be done. I just don't have what it takes today. Uh, I wish I'd kept in touch with my friends instead of being such a workaholic. Something needs to change pretty soon, or I'm not going to be able to crawl out from under this rock. This is not a good day. I hope tomorrow is better. I think people see this and then go, oh, this person's just having a down day. It'll pass. But it's magnified, though. So, again, our down day as a CEO, if we're stressed and really worried about our business, we can't tell anyone. We can't tell our employees. So let's say that we are leveraged. We borrowed money against our house. We maxed out our credit line. We personally signed on all of our loans. We just recruited that new VP to come join our company, even though we're worried we're going bankrupt. We recruited him away from his job and promised him the dream of where we're going. And then we're also not quite sure we're even going to get there. Mm -hmm. We're not drawing a salary. We haven't told our wife for the last three months that we haven't paid ourselves back our expenses. And we got to turn to everybody and go, we got this. Mm -hmm. That's really fucking stressful. Yeah. Right. Extraordinarily stressful. So you, you have this massive amount of pressure that kind of comes under which is very different from a normal person who's having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month, right? Right, because what sounds like what you're saying is somebody who's having a bad day because they're having a bad day and they spilled coffee on their pants and they're late and they know their boss is going to go, hey, you're late. It's different than or, somebody whose life is, stands to ruin. Yeah, I mean, if you could still hate your boss and be having a bad day or hate your company or hate your job or not be, but, but you're not mortgaged to the hilt because of that. Right. You might be mortgaged to the hilt because of other bad decisions you made, but not because of this one company. Whereas entrepreneurs have everything, everything on that one line, their identity, right? Most people don't have their identity attached to their job. Whereas us, if we fail, it's our entire world all of a sudden just collapsed around us, right? Mm -hmm. And we recruited all these people and we go, there's people out there who I've told we're going to be successful, who don't know that I don't know how we're going to meet payroll in two days, Yeah, right? We had to borrow when we were building 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we had to borrow $417,000 one morning to pay payroll the, the next day on Thursday. We borrowed wow. it from the founder's mother because the bank wouldn't loan against us. We were that close. And we were a $100 million company at the time. What? So, wow. So when you're, now we can't tell those. Now we've told it since. Sure. But yeah. you can't walk around the company going, yeah, Brian's mom just lent us 400 grand to meet payroll. People are like, what the fuck? I'm out of here. Yeah. Okay, right? cool. I'm not coming in tomorrow. Th that's not a normal amount of stress. No. And, and you have, so, so that's kind of where this bipolar gets magnified. And we already have those signs. But it's not a disorder. And I keep kind of saying it, but I haven't explained it. The mania is why people follow us. It's the dream. It's the passion. It's the irrational exuberance. It's the hell yeah, I'll come join your new right. startup, right? You can't get someone to come join a startup unless you have that manic side to you, right? That, that amazing dream. You sell the vision. And then when they join, they go, wow, it's not even really there yet. Okay, I'll, 
I'll buckle down and I'll help you build it. That's where mania is powerful. Talking to the media, talking to the press, doing pep rallies, talking to your sales team, you know, marketing, anything outward facing is when you use all that manic side. Yeah, th- this is this is key because the transition curve or the the emotional roller coaster of entrepreneurship or business, you start off up and then you you co- sort of crest, come down and then back up, or you crash and burn. And I think what's key is knowing what to do at each phase of that curve. And I kind of we're gonna have an we'll use your image from your book if you don't mind in the yeah, show notes so that sure. people can sort of visualize this and follow along. We we might even just make it the show art that way people can sure. look at the screen of their phone and see what we're talking about. Stage one, though, uninformed optimism. That's kind of the mania you're talking about right now. Yeah, that's like if you're going up a physical roller coaster, it's almost when you get to the top, right? When you just are almost at the very top, you're excited, you're enthusiastic. You're not even really sure what's coming yet, but you're just full of that pith and vinegar. In the entrepreneurial world, and this could be like a long term of a year or it could be just in the course of a week. It's the irrational exuberance, right? It's the pure optimism. It's the excitement and the passion. You know, I just landed this massive new client. I don't know how we're going to integrate them yet, but I'm super excited I got them, right? Or I just started this, or I just bought all this new equipment. I just bought this new ad campaign, right? But, but we haven't kind of gone over the top yet to see what the results are like. Sure. So this can be scary because it's uninformed optimism is right. Adrenaline, mania, nervous energy, excitement, energy, passion. You don't need to get coffee. You don't need to shake yourself out of bed. You're going 100 miles an hour. Everything's the awesome. The, what could go wrong? So what should we, what should we be doing in this phase and what shouldn't we be doing? In so this when, phase? yeah, cause each, each stage is a natural good and bad, right? If yeah. you're, if you're manic, you should talk to the media. You should talk to your investors. You should talk to your employees. You should do recruiting. You should do marketing, but you should not make any buying decisions, right? You shouldn't buy a new building. You shouldn't buy the million dollar ad campaign for the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You should wait until you're a little more pessimistic to make purchasing decisions or to make hiring decisions. So you should do recruiting but not hiring, right? You should do sales, but not purchasing, right? You should do marketing using your voice and, and kind of anything using your social feeds, but not using any purchasing. Interesting, right? So we want to be kind of super outgoing, but then when it comes to signing on the dotted line for a purchase, it's like maybe somebody with some sanity should check this yeah, over. It's where you'll quick. hear entrepreneurs go, I don't know what I was thinking at the time. Well, you weren't thinking at the time. You were yeah. so irrationally exuberant, right? Or I was like, so into it. I didn't even see it. Well, yeah, you, cause you were running a hundred miles an hour. Around here, there's a lot of, I don't know if you can call them urban legends. They're mostly rumors that are for sure true about, Hey, I spotted insert double A list entrepreneur celebrity at this restaurant. And he was in then a list of things that only crazy people do. Like, oh, for sure. Double fisting $5,000 bottles of champagne and like throwing them on people. And you're just like, what drugs are you on? And they're like, none. I drove him there. We'd had one cocktail beforehand. Yeah. I had a $19,000 credit card bill one night when we actually sold the company for 60 million. And then three months, no, but then three months later when the stock market crashed, this was 19 years ago. When the stock market crashed, we lost the $64 million valuation. No. Yeah, we, we were, but we were sold at a $22.45. And when the transaction closed, it was worth $2.15. So we lost about uh, $59 million of valuation. No. Oh, True story. We sold the company three days before Steve Ballmer said there was an internet bubble. March 15th, 2000. Oh my God. Yeah, we lost a lot. I was sitting with the CEO that day. We were up on the top floor of the building when we knew the market had crashed and we lost everything. He said, it sucks. We're only on the fourth floor. And I was like, why is that? He goes, if we jump, we'll only break our legs. Yeah. 
Yeah. That sucks. That's a hard, it, and it's funny now because it's a funny comment, but back then it's like, you do all that work and you're just waiting for that outcome. And then you got the outcome. It's not like you well, didn't we did win. Yeah, we you got, got the outcome, the outcome yeah. and it slipped through your it fingers. Was, There's no fault of your own. Yeah. Damn. I actually was about to send him an email this morning. He's president of a, a public company today, but yeah, it's, and that again is different, right? He'd given years of his life. I'd given years of my life. I'd moved from Canada down to the U.S. for this. Yeah. Hey there, Cameron here. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We're going to get right back to it in a sec, but just let me ask you a quick question. Are you a COO or a second in command tasked with helping the company hit and exceed its growth goals? Having spent many decades of my life dedicated to this role, I know one of the secrets of growth is to surround yourself with like-minded people, also pushing and striving to go where you want to go. It's why as a listener to this podcast, I want to officially invite you to the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. We're the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. When you're a part of this peer group, you'll get access to unprecedented support, guidance, and resources to grow your company's bottom line, improve your ability to streamline processes, connect with other top seconds in command to assist you and bring out your greatest potential, and so much more. Go to www.cooalliance.com to see if you qualify. It's where you can also see other members and the results of the program, as well as our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if the group can be the right fit for you. Once again, it's www.cooalliance.com. Now back to the show. Just to have it slip through your fingers. Hopefully at a good time when you spend Now, I'll, I'll give you an uninformed optimism, right? At yeah. least at least he was able to, and I was able to protect some of it. We sold some of our stock right away to pay the taxes. If you, if you held it for, I think, six months, you only paid 25% tax. If you sold within six months, you paid 35%. We at least sold ours and paid 35%. Other people didn't. They tried to hold it. And they ended up owing more money in tax than they actually had in value. Oh, that's because they, yeah, because of all the options. What do you even do when that happens? You declare bankruptcy. You can go. So you could yeah. basically get really rich and immediately end up immediately bankrupt because bankrupt. you didn't sell your stock. Yeah, that hardly seems fair, but I suppose that's one of those like side effects of the way that this stuff works. Yeah, it's when an employee talks about you know tax the rich. They don't understand how hard it is to get to be rich as well. Good Another lord! Podcast. Oh yeah, different <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I know. Right, exactly. The other key is to recognize that this sort of enthusiasm, the optimism won't last. It's not something that's going to be forever. And I think in a way at the time you recognize that, right? But you have to internalize it. You can't just go, well, look, it, it, it might not last forever, but then again, it might. It's like, no, 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 it will change. Yeah, we, it will we know change. it'll change, but we're not there yet to, to, to discuss that because we're so manic. Right. So, so yeah. you re it's hard to slow that person down to say, you realize it is going to change. We'd be like, oh shit. Yeah, you're right. But, but when you are flying manic like that, it's hard to know, right? Cause it's just so exciting. You feel like you're going to take over the world. That's what's scary to spouses. His spouses will hear us 
be so excited, so passionate. Like we're going to take over the world. This is amazing. And they, they're like, fuck, finally. Cause we've been like driving so hard. Mm-hmm. And then two days later, you're worried that you're, you're going to go bankrupt. And one of your employees just quit and you, you just got a customer who bailed on you and you, you're, you're in bed with your duvet over your head and they're going, Oh my God, what's going on? Yeah. And you don't want to talk to them yet. So they're like, what's happened to my spouse who was so excited and now so down. Yeah. That's but, Jen's like that with me a lot because well, that's, she's like, that's what's just your- a normal week. Yeah. Yeah, it is. She's like, I don't understand why you have these things. And they happen for seemingly no reason. It's not like something happened and then I'm overreacting. It's nothing happened since last night, but now I'm totally different person. Yeah. And this, by the way, is bipolar. You're on the spectrum, (laughs) but it's not a disorder. Yeah. See, again, if we were told as a kid that bipolar was a superpower, that attention deficit was a superpower, that even Tourette's is a superpower right? As long as you're not so far on the edge of the spectrum with it. Tourette's is thinking out loud. So the reason that can be a superpower is you don't overthink your thoughts. So you come off as very real because people just know that they someone's going to write it and be like, that is not what Tourette's is, but I'm not an expert. So right. I don't know. It's, the, huh. it's on the spectrum for Tourette's. Sure. Gotcha. Okay. It also is nervous tics. Yeah. A lot of, and a lot of cursing from people who don't normally do it, which is those are the words coming out and you can almost sense it. It reminds me of... So I diagnosed the CEO of Sprint, the former CEO, Marcelo Clare, as being on the spectrum for Tourette's bipolar disorder and ADD on a plane. And he almost started to cry. He's like, how do you know me so well? Oh, wow. And then he brought me into Miami a couple of weeks later to meet with his wife, Jordan, and we sat and talked through it all. And he's a classic, unbelievable, spectacular entrepreneur. And you don't need medication. You need to understand yourself, right? So he has these signs, but he's understood how to leverage it. He built the largest Hispanic-owned company in the US, sold it for over a billion dollars. So maybe it's not a disorder or a problem. Maybe those three things are his superpower. There has to be something to it because of what you said before, where there's a certain small percentage of the population that has these, but they, the overlap is much higher than it would normally be. Right. Exactly. And we're just, the reason that it's a disorder is the medical community doesn't understand us because they're not wired like us. So when they see something so different from them, we must be a problem. It's like redheads. If you're a redhead, you should be a problem, right? Because there's only like whatever one percent. Maybe they're the disorder, right? Yeah, like, sure. You know what I mean? Like, well, maybe there's nothing wrong with them at all. Well, also, I think medical professionals only see it when it's so extreme and so dysfunctional that someone's going, yeah, I can't hold a relationship or a job and I can't get out of bed most days because it's sure. so far. Nobody's going to the doctor and going, you know, um, some days I wake up and I just don't really feel like working. And then other days I'm really happy. And the doctor goes, yeah, join the club. You'd, why be, are you in my you'd be surprised. And again, that's why the medical community calls it the CEO disease is because they actually do see it much more frequently. Hmm. And they do medicate, not because we're going to kill ourselves or because we're going to jump off buildings, but because it is so different than the average person. Hmm. The same as attention deficit disorder. Why are so many kids given medication for ADD? Because the teachers can't control them in the classroom but maybe you shouldn't be controlling in the class. Maybe they shouldn't be in the classroom in the first place. But if there's no other place for these kids, we need to get them to conform. So we give them medication so they fit in like everybody else. Yeah, this is, that's a, that is itself a controversial topic that I don't fully understand. I, I do know that I had ADD when I was a kid and, and as an, an adult. And now as an adult, it's fine. I don't have any problem. I get more done in a week than most people do in an entire month. By the way, hyperfocus is part of attention deficit disorder. If you read the traits of bipolar or the traits of ADD and the strengths of ADD, hyperfocus is part of attention deficit disorder, but it's usually in 20 to 30 minute bursts. Hmm. 
And then we, then we, our brain kind of twigs out and we need to like move, change seats, change rooms or do something. Yeah. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds about right. That checks out stage two informed pessimism. So this is kind of where we have crested the wave a little bit. Yeah. It's and- when you go over top of the curve and you kind of say, Oh shit. For the first time you go, Whoa, okay. This is harder than I thought. You know, I, I just hired this amazing new guy. I'm super excited. I got this VP joining me. Oh shit. He's 20,000 a month plus benefits. Yeah. Uh, how are we going to pay for that? How am I going to onboard him? What do other people really think? Jeez. Uh, yeah. Right. So yeah. it's, we call it that. Oh shit moment. So you focus more on shortcomings, shortcomings of your business, the, the flaws, the glass is a little half empty, maybe instead of half full. Yeah. You, you start seeing the stuff that's going to go wrong or a little bit harder, a little bit more difficult, a little bit more challenging. You start noticing stuff that you hadn't really thought through that clearly before. And I then got, beat yourself up and thereby go further down the curve. Yeah. like I, I got it a couple of years ago where I got a major tax bill. I got a, t- a tax bill for $420,000 more than I owed. And I'm like, whoa, what the hell? And then I realized I did all this revenue that I forgot to actually think through. This was like three years ago. And then, and then I'm like, oh, fuck. And then you start planning and thinking through it. But that was a pretty big oh shit moment. Yeah. What did you do? What do you do about that? You call st- the IRS, yeah. call the Canadian. I, I first hit, I went down to crisis of meaning. I actually started to really freak out and panic. And uh, my ex-wife was getting all worried for me as, or about us as well. Cause she didn't understand how to, to deal with it. I took some friends who were entrepreneurs and we went for a hike, went and hiked Camelback together. So I went out with Joe Polish and David Berg and Gordy Bufton and we were hiking Camelback and on the hike on the way down, we talked our way through it. And it was basically go home and make a plan of all the things you can cut and all the ways you can increase gross margin and all the ways you can increase revenue and execute the plan. Hmm. So I just did that. Yeah. And I just, just did that. It was just, I still have the lists on my laptop. Just needed a quick 420,000. It was about, it was about 80 things that I had to do. And I just did all of them Wow. as manic as I could. Oh my goodness. And with three months it was done, but it was a scary oh shit, right? Yeah. Not a three months you want to repeat. No. I would imagine. No. Yeah. So now I put the plans in place to counter for that. Sure. My plan is make sure Jen's paying attention. Yeah, that's a good plan. <laughs> make sure our, our accountant uh, as well is interfacing with her and not listening to anything I'm saying. Stage three, crisis of meaning that you just mentioned. This is where things get quote unquote interesting yeah. in a bad way for most of us. Crisis of meaning is when you're at a stage where you're completely panicked, unable to do anything, unable to think you know, Brian, who is the CEO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK is, is bipolar as well and wickedly ADD as well. And we were best friends. And this was around 17, 18 years ago. We were probably about 8 million in revenue um, at the time. So still pretty small. And he called me one morning and he said, just lie to the leadership team. Tell them whatever you need to tell them. I'm okay, but I just need to stay at home today. I'm on the floor in the basement, lying on the floor in the dark. I just need to, to detach. That's clearly like a, a, a crisis of meaning. Yeah, state, that's right? a bad sign. But we understood each other well enough that we had each other's back, you know, that I could say, okay, go to go talk to a counselor and take some time off and I got your back. And, and But most people don't understand that or they don't understand that it's okay to get there because that's purely the counterbalance for all that mania. So as an example, I've done speaking events all over the world. I've done like 600 paid events in 26 countries. And I'll give it all for 90 minutes on stage. Then I come off stage. I'm good for about a half hour. And then my energy starts dropping and dropping and dropping about two hours to the minute after I come off a stage, you don't want to talk to me. Mm -hmm. I'm grumpy. I'm kind of negative. I really don't want to talk to you. 
I probably just want to have a drink or go for a run or do something. But like, I just don't want to be around people. Yeah. God forbid I have to sit beside a human being on a plane. Oh, that's the right? worst. Because right? I have three hours and they want to chat or they yeah. recognize, you. oh, it's so good to see you. I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. Oh, I'm not in the mood. So that that <laughs> is just a pure course correction for massive mania, right? And you do that day in and day out and it just it just wears on you. So you feel helpless, you feel terrified, you feel utter despair, basement floor, Brian Scudamore on the basement floor. He's been on the show. So Brian Scudamore on the basement floor. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Brian. Uh, And then this is where you can either, you either pull the plane up above or you crash right into the mountain, right? So stage four, which like four with an asterisk because it's optional. Right. Crash and burn. Crash and burn. And I came very close to this when I had to split with the former company, but I avoided it by calling a hundred people. I think you were the first or second one that I called. Yeah, I remember I was sitting in an airport talking to you. Yeah. And, and, um, so I was wondering if, if I was going to be able to avoid this. And I remember, yeah. I know the curve exists cause we've talked about it years and years ago and, and ever since, but it's hard to see, you know, if I just wake up in a crummy mood, I go, this is the curve. If I'm really stoked about something, I go, this is the curve. Enjoy it while it lasts. Right. But yeah. when you're really feeling down, it's hard to get out of it. It's hard to, to go. This is part of the curve. Yeah. So I, um, I hit a point a couple of years ago where I was really down and I started drinking at nights as a way to, to relax and fall asleep. And then I, I didn't understand that alcohol was a depressant. I mean, yeah. here I was 51 years old and not understanding that alcohol is a depressant. So I was getting more depressed and more tired and I'd wake up in the morning kind of tired and anxious and wouldn't go work out, wouldn't get any exercise. So it created this doom loop for myself with all the pressure. And a friend of mine said, you know, I think you're depressed. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. And it, and it had been a longer period than I was used to. Normally, it'll be like a day or two. Mm-hmm. This had gone for a few months. And um, yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, it was a hard it was a really extraordinarily hard, hard stage. And and so I did, I did everything to course correct. I started doing work with a shaman. I did nine sessions with this woman, Cheryl Netsky. I did 52 sessions with a therapist. I'd never done any counseling or therapy. And I did 52 sessions with this woman, Patty Ann. Um, I went to six group sessions. I started doing yoga four days a week. I started meditation. I started smudging myself in the morning. What's smudging? Smudging, you use Palo Santo and you slow your, your day down just by like doing this like weird shamanic thing. It's Whoa, like, that's yeah, it's super woo-woo. Cool. It's man, real woo but Whatever gets you through the day. And man. tell you, as a, a guy from like Northern Ontario, I grew up in a place called like Buffalo, but four hours north of Buffalo, that was real woo-woo. But all of that stuff started to help. Right. And I think talking, then talking to friends became the next one. Mm -hmm. And I never knew I could do that in a safe place. And I could do it with groups of entrepreneurs, but not just other friends. And then I realized that by talking to them about my business worries or my personal worries, all of a sudden I had a connection that helped me out of that space. But yeah, when you're in that crisis of meaning, it's really, really hard to come out of. And the crash and burn is sort of like, look, eight, you mentioned in the book, 85% of all solo businesses fail within the first year, 85%. Yeah. And, and, and that's of, just solo businesses. And of the ones that succeed, 85% of those fail within the next two or next five. I mean, that's terrifying. Yeah. Is that, I don't know how you do those stacked percentages math wise. It's like a but, 5% success rate. Yeah, it's bad news. Yeah. yeah. It's, and then it's, it's something less like, than 5%. And then it's something like 1% ever make it to a million in revenue. Yeah. Of the, of the leftover ones? Of the or? leftover ones, yeah. Like, it's wow. really, really, Pat really rare. On the oh, yeah, it's really rare. Most businesses are like the three to $600,000, you know, five, six employees. We think of big businesses with, like, lots of employees, but yeah. that's much yeah, more rare. Of, whenever I think business, I mean, the smallest company I ever worked for 
aside from the movie theater I worked for as a kid, had, a, had 500 lawyers and support staff. Whoa. And that was yeah. the smallest company. And we were a small firm. This is like a, they call it midsize because it doesn't yeah. have one guy in it or two guys, uh, you know, as lawyers, but it also doesn't have 3,000. Right. Yeah. No, so, I've, I, yeah. Those are not normal size. Those are big companies yeah. or medium enterprise. Yeah. And plus, there's also this sort of uh, selection bias that we have as entrepreneurs. Now we're talking about this pre-show where you go, well, shoot, my friend Noah Kagan, he's got AppSumo. That's got like 20 some employees. Uh, Cam, I mean, he's working for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. That place had, you know, back in 3, the day, 3,000 employees. And, the, you know, it's a franchise, so it's a little different. But And then I'm advising Himalaya, and this is a room full of people, and they got an office in China that's 10 times as large as this. And you just don't have a realistic comparison. So you're comparing, like, your revenue of your work-from-home business with a, quote-unquote, big company that's capitalized at a hundred million dollars yeah. and you're doing this apples to oranges. Well, again, most, if, if most entrepreneurs are these small businesses, right, which they would be, and you have no employees or maybe a couple of freelance people and you're scrapping together a few hundred grand a year and paying yourself 80, that is a real business, right? With, with real risk and real threats and no guaranteed paycheck and no healthcare and, you know, all those expenses. And, and then you find out that a customer just quit. Like when I first started coaching CEOs, so I left got junk, 1-800 got junk 12 years ago. Um, I started coaching these entrepreneurs around the world. I had one of my clients paying me 120,000 a year to coach him. And then after 12 months, he goes, yeah, we're good. We're not going to renew. I'm like, ah, $120,000 yeah. on one person. That's not a normal job, right? You don't right. lose, you don't lose a third of your pay that, that day, right? Because somebody's happy. Yeah, that's yeah. They're like, yeah, we learned everything. We're good. I'm like, what? Yeah, you did your job really well. We're going to penalize you by cutting your income. Yeah, we don't need you anymore because you taught us. Yeah. Oh. So crisis of meaning is all about being a little bit vulnerable, being okay with talking to other people, realizing that it's not the end of the world and being okay with, with recharging our batteries. I think we're, we've been telling a lot of people tell themselves a lie that they're going to catch up. I'm going to work tonight to catch up. I'll work this weekend to catch up. Yeah, that's me. You won't, you actually won't catch up and you need to stop that habit before your child is born because you'll never catch up. You'll just have bigger goals. Well, what's been happening is I either do a bunch of stuff and then there's always more. Well, as yeah, you, know. you, you built, you add more goals. You set another or, project. Or I just go, oh, I needed to do all this stuff today, but I can't. I just need to plug in my Xbox and like play for a couple hours or go for a walk right. or hit the gym. And then I come back and I go, man, I have not had a productive day. And Jen goes, no. first of all, you have. And second of all, it's freaking Saturday. Right. You need to actually be good. So we as entrepreneurs need to be better with unplugging and feeling good about that. Because no yeah. one's going to praise us for taking time off except ourselves. Mm. And we have to think of ourselves as pro athletes. There's no way pro athletes work 80 hours a week. They just don't do it, right? They're, they're on their game for maybe a couple hours a week. Then they're in practice mode for maybe 40 hours a week. And then they're disconnected for the rest. And, we, and as CEOs and entrepreneurs, we need to be way better with taking that time off. And I mean, like not reading a business book for fun. Yeah. I mean, like not checking your email 12 times a day on a weekend. Like, I mean, un plugged. It is hard to do that. It is something that I, I mean, even tomorrow I have a whole bunch of stuff to do and I'm like, okay, maybe I need to like, no, it's down. Saturday. You shouldn't do anything because, yeah. because you won't, because you won't catch up, right? You're just, it's like the horizon. You're going to be happy when you get to the horizon. You can't, you can't sneak up on it at night while it's asleep, right? right? It keeps moving on you. So you, 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 you just won't catch up. And I think what happens with the burnout I was written up in the Wall Street Journal 19 years ago for crashing and burning, for having a nervous breakdown in an elevator because of stress. Really? So it was two and a half months after the market had crashed. We lost everything. My mom was dying. I'd quit my job. My wife was pregnant. I was moving from Seattle back to Vancouver. They ran a stress test on me, and I had a 
8% chance of a heart attack. I was clinically redlining. So I had this chemical secretion being caused by stress and I could almost have like this metallic taste in the back of my neck. Oh my God. That was the doctor was saying it's a chemical secretion. Like it's telling you to slow down. I'm like, no, I'm good. I can keep going. Right. I weighed 35 pounds more than I do today. I was drinking constantly. I wasn't getting any exercise. I was a disaster. That's crazy. But I was like, no, I'll just work this weekend to catch up. Yeah. And I'll work at night to catch up. But I, I had no fun. I had no friends and I wasn't doing anything that was enjoyable. Uh, horrible. Yeah. It's like stressful hearing about that. But I feel you. the people that get through and avoid the crash and burn, are the, you note, are the people that actually recognize they're starting to have these feelings and then quickly turn for support. Yeah. And I think a lot of us don't do that. They turn to support. They turn to some of their passions. Like they actually like yoga for, for fun. They run for the sake of, you know, they play tennis for the sake of playing tennis. They just, they just want to play. They want to be 13 year olds again. And, and they don't make an excuse for that. They recognize that at the end of the day, actually none of this really matters anyway, because we're going to die. <laughs> so we may as well have fun, right? We may as well have fun along the way. And, and they want, that ba- and as soon as they embrace that balance truly, and they read books for fun that have nothing to do with anything other than it's fun, and they go on vacations for, and they have hobbies, and they meet with friends that aren't entrepreneurs, or they meet with other entrepreneurs, but they didn't, never talk about each other's business. Yeah, right? that's yeah. actually cool. I like meeting with other entrepreneurs and then not talking about business because it's like they they get it. And then they also value the fact that you're there spending what, the time. And I've had to learn that. Like, I actually have to try to not talk about business. And I'll say, can we not talk about business? I'll be like, oh, yeah, great. Good call. Right? Yeah. But otherwise, for me, it was always my natural, you know, I'd slide back into that. Stage five is informed optimism mm-hmm. slash hopeful realization. Yeah. So this, this, is, this is good, but also a little scary because it's kind of like, and we're going back going up back on the roller coaster. Curve. Yeah. Curve. This is kind of the little engine that could. This is the I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. The danger part is that if you get too optimistic too quickly without fixing the problem that got you to that stressful place before, right? So if you don't understand that you're merely going back up and getting ready to crash again, sooner or later, one of those crashes can actually be pretty detrimental to your health, right? Or to your family or to your business. Right. Cause that's, that's when you see oops, overdose or, oh, he had a stroke. Or I or screamed something. at somebody and said the wrong thing. Yeah. Right. Fight. I overreacted on something cause I'm so stressed out and I can't respond. I can only react or I, I pack it all in when I was like a day away from being successful. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I think a lot of people are nodding, maybe not smiling, but nodding right now. Uh, I like the idea that at each stage you, you can leverage the feelings and the energy. So you leverage the optimism. And then when you kind of are headed downward, you can look at and re-examine some of your strategies. Yeah, I try to leverage the feelings, but I also try to understand the feelings. So I try to remember if I'm feeling that crazy exuberance and energy, take it back a little bit. So even if I'm going on stage to speak now, I try to get into that manic stage and then I try to take it back 15%. Because if I go on stage completely manic, I'm all over the place, I'm scattered, I swear too much. I say stuff I shouldn't say. I go off on these tangents. But if I temper it back, then I've got enough good enthusiasm coming in and I can stay really focused. Or if I'm stressed or depressed, I'm like, wow, I really need to, I need to, de- to, to de- decompress. Yeah. Bit. Yeah. It's like gravity. You said you can't fight the feelings and energy. It's like working against gravity. Yeah. So just sort of accept where you are on the curve and then go, all right, this is where I'm at on the curve. And breathe and be okay with that. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm having a bad day. All right, let me feel that. Let me, let me take some time off yeah. and feel good about taking time off because I actually run my own company and I can. 
Mm-hmm. Right, that's pretty. Yeah, cool. enjoy the enjoy the fact that you built it in the first place. Right, you can relax. So don't spend money when you're doing that uninformed optimism and that upward curve. Don't spend any money. Don't hire anyone. Yeah, do do some media. Go online. Do your guerrilla marketing. Talk to investors. Make some new clients. Make a couple sales. But yeah, don't be working on the budget. Don't be doing any long-term business planning. Yeah. When you go over the curve and you're at that informed pessimism stage, that's when you want to budget. That's when you want to make buying decisions because you're cautious. You're cautious. You're a little bit more informed, right? You're thinking through it a little more clearly. Yeah. I like, I like that. I like the idea that you should not plan at certain points. And then when you're also feeling bad, it's a good time to plan because it'll help snap you out of that. First of all, because you start to get more maybe excited about your long-term growth, but also you aren't sitting there exposing yourself and creating a bunch of... You see it on Shark Tank all the time where these guys come in and they're like way overly optimistic and the the shark's kind of like, okay, wait, 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 let's bring this back down a bit. And all of a sudden they've like, they brought them down to reality and then it's like, okay, now we can talk. In the crisis of meaning, I meant to ask this before, men and women seem to handle this differently and you note this in Double Double. Yeah. Women are really good at talking and sharing and communicating. And I don't know whether it's that, that old story that we've heard that, you know, 10,000 years ago, the women were out gathering and they would be communicating and talking and sharing with each other. And men had to be very quiet and stoic because we were trying to hunt an animal. And if we were out talking and sharing, we'd scare them all away. So men were always inside and women were always communicating and sharing and that kept the animals away, right? It protected them. I don't know if that's true, but sounds we, good. But women tend someone's gonna to, write in and tell us. Women to tend to share. Like women talk to each other and they communicate about their fears and their worries and their insecurities and their frustrations. Mm-hmm. And they kind of work through it all. And then they come back into their relationships. Guys need to tap into that a little bit more and be okay with that. I think it's starting more. It feels to me like it's starting more. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I'm just opening up to it more, but it feels like men are more than we were maybe back in the 50s in our parents' generation or 60s. We don't have to pretend we have our shit together. You know, it's okay to say, I'm going to a therapist. Wow. What was that like? Mm -hmm. You know, or I, or to talk about our feelings and say, we're scared. Like men are allowed to have feelings and we're allowed to actually express them and we're allowed to get help for it. And then realize that when you ask for help, it's kind of like this. Can you help me? When the person comes in, it feels amazing. Right. And we're also, if you don't ask someone else for hug or for help, you're kind of robbing them of the chance to help you. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. I think guys are, well, we already know that men are terrible at making friends, uh, especially adult males. We just don't do it and we don't share. So that's a big problem for those of us that are going to be bipolar, ADHD, on the entrepreneur roller coaster curve, because that's what we need most, our support. So if you're female and you're listening to this, you probably have more social connections and support but not necessarily. I think so. I mean, when I'll, I'll talk to um, of CEOs that I coach, I notice that the women tend to have a better social network than the men do. And the men tend to be more workaholics than the women are. Women tend to disconnect and spend time and take care of themselves, take care of um, you know family, take care of friends and relationships. They tend to be much better at compartmentalizing their business. And, and men tend to, I think, make it their everything, which is to their detriment. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. I mean, I don't, I, I prioritize the show, the business over everything. And it took me a while to be like, I need to focus on social connections. I mean, I, that's what I teach and do now, but for years I didn't. Yeah. It's important to let your significant other know about this, this curve. Because I, it's important to let your significant other know about it. Your kids know about yeah. it and your employees know about it. Cause your, your significant other 
if they did not grow up in an entrepreneurial family, first they've been terrified of, of your roller coaster that they're strapped to and they ride it silently. Secondly, they're they're just unaware of it. So they might not even know that it's happening, but when you expose them to it, they go, whoa, you're just an entrepreneur. I get this because they'll so heavily associate you with these curves. Very similar to what um, the, you know, the wife, Jordan of uh, Marcelo, the CEO of Sprint, she noticed him and noticed all these traits, actually walked them through this diagram and was, she was blown away by it. She's like, that's exactly him. Now I realize he doesn't have a problem. This is his superpower. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're listening or watching this right now, and you're going, this is me, then the key thing for you to do is get this show and probably the curve and or the book double double at least or this chapter of the book into the hands of those people so they can go, ah, got it. Because we might not, the, the person on the curve might not think, oh, I, I'm on the downward slope. I should reach out for support. If you're anything like me, Jen will have to go, hey, you're doing this right now and you should do that. And I have to go, oh yeah, you're right. I don't always notice it as soon as she does. Yeah. I, I would even say versus double, double. I cover this in the, the book, the miracle morning for entrepreneurs. That oh yeah. Hal Elrod and I co-authored yeah. together. Uh, the miracle morning for entrepreneurs covers this in even more detail and is probably better applicable for anyone listening or watching today. Right. Cam, thanks so much. You're welcome, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate it. You've been listening to second in command brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.